0: I like to ask myself the following uplifting question. Which is, what am I willing to die for? I actually do think that's an uplifting question.
1: Really? Yes.
0: I can serve. Now, why is that an uplifting question? it you what's in life. Well, close. That was important in life. But what's important to you in your life? In your well, no, because this thing I'm willing to die for, right? So it can't be the thing that's important in life.
1: What's important? Right. What's important? death.
0: <laughs> right? It's the thing that makes life important, and therefore, if it's a choice between life or the thing, a life without this is just isn't worth it. In other words, there's actually two elements to this question that are very uplifting. The first element is you folks you focus on what's really important. That's always good. But the other thing is it makes you realize that being alive in and of itself just really isn't that important, and that's a very freeing thing.
1: Okay.
0: One of the um, Ancient ideas that the Torah speaks about is that you can divide everything on earth into one of four categories, one of four kingdoms, which are known in Hebrew as domain. Does anyone know what domain means in English?
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: usually translated as inanimate, but since animate means moving and plants also don't move, it's kind of it Silent. It
2: yeah. really means
0: silent, meaning it doesn't doesn't have any expression at all. It just sits there unless you kick it, like a rock. And then you have things that are called Samaf, which means growing. And chai, which literally means animal as in animate, moving things that move around, like animals, like cats. And then you have *madaber*, which means things that can speak. They can communicate with language, with the people. And there's a hierarchy. What's at the top of the hierarchy? Guess. Things that can speak, right? That's us, hopefully. And what's at the bottom? The, the inanimate, silent, rock-like things. Now, you read that. Sounds very good. Sounds very nice. And then you stop and think for a second. You say, well, wait a minute. What does a rock need? Like, what does a rock I'm serious. Literally like, literally literally there's a rock. Nothing. Literally nothing. Literally. Right. Whereas a plant, water. water, sunlight, nutrients in the soil, right? It's a little more dependent animals more dependent what about us speaking things us people we're really dependent so if you think about it we are the most precarious of the four we are the most vulnerable of the four we're the ones that are most likely to have our existence collapse um, around us That's another unpleasant thing so why is it good to be Madabra wouldn't it be better to be a rock No one ever had that thought. I was like, you know, it would be better to be a rock. In fact, what do most of us spend most of our time doing? We spend most of our time trying to take care of all the things that we need to take care of so that our existence doesn't fall apart. We make sure we have enough food, water, air, sunlight. You need sunlight, by the way. It's very important. I once had a student from uh, Alaska. And he said that in the winter, the murder rate doubled
1: because
0: everyone is uh, just miserable because there's not enough sunlight. But then in the summer, everyone's really happy. The sunlight's not very important for us and plants. Um, we need other things. We need family, we need relationships, we need friendships, we need goals. Um, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, most of us, we spend our time trying to get those things. Now, sometimes there are people in really bad situations and they literally don't have food to eat, and so sort they of become obsessed with getting food. Um, I'm assuming that most of us here, we have food to eat. Sure. More, than so, than
1: enough.
0: more than enough, right? So then we become obsessed with, you know, other kinds of things. Um, social status, whether our lives are, quote, fulfilling enough, or whatever. Right? Whereas the rock, the rock, you can sit there, just, you know, doesn't have to worry about anything. Now, what if you all of a sudden woke up one day and discovered that if your existence completely collapsed, it wouldn't be such a tragedy. Like it's not so bad if you were just fall out of existence. You just you could you know be a little more graphic that you died. It's not the end of the
3: world. Like our physical existence
0: on whatever level you want to talk about. So like physically the person dies or you know whatever their social status that they been very important to them falls whatever it is. But whatever you just realize that all of those things that you quote need um, you don't really need. Because it's true that you depend on them, but um, how should I put this lightly? You're not all that you're cracked up to be, and so if you just like kind of wither away, it's really not it's a tragedy. So then you're you're kind of free. Like imagine you're sitting in line or standing in line in um, some kind of country where there's no food, waiting in the bread line, like saying. Tsarist you know, Russia near the end of the, near the revolution Where there's literally no food to eat People are just lining up Hoping to get a little bit of bread People are pretty tense They're pretty agitated, right? Because everybody knows that at some point The bread is going to run out And you want to make sure the bread runs out At this point in the line Right? <laughs> okay. What if it's immaterial to you Whether you get the bread or not? I'm
1: gonna be all that.
0: But yeah, but are you? Are you you wouldn't be tense. Yeah. Easy breezy. Right. So there is something freeing about realizing, and it's a hard thing to realize. There's something freeing about realizing that whether you know you live or die, exist or don't exist, it's actually not the biggest deal in the world.
3: It is. The, it is a little something. I'm
0: explaining my thought process now. Right. I'm not telling you what you should think. I'm telling you what I think. Soon we'll get to what God says, and then you'll have to like, then you'll have to agree with me because you're know, the rabbi. But until right now, we're just talking about my personal, my personal thought process So why I ask myself, what would I be willing to die for, and why I find that uplifting. Yes. <clears throat> sorry. Um. So when you say that it wouldn't
3: be like the biggest deal in the world, which perspective are you coming from? Like the rest of the world, where, like, you them, or like are? My perspective. You're like
0: you're, really? Well. You wouldn't
3: like care that much. If well,
0: sorry. This is all part of why this is an uplifting thought. When I try and figure out what I would willing to be die for, in that I have to be willing to die, right? That's, yeah. the, that's the whole part of this little thought exercise. It's trying to figure out what willing to die for, really absence of that thing, whatever that thing I'd be willing to die for, my life is really, eh, oh yeah, no, time, not, not a big deal. So there's two things that happen when you identify what you'd be willing to die for in a real way. One is you've identified something that really is important. That's good. And also, you've cut through all the fluff of the stuff that you thought was important but actually isn't because all that other stuff turns out to be expendable. So let's just use a, an example. Okay? Um, one of the mitzvahs in the Torah... So now, now we're now we're moving away from my personal thoughts to what it says in the Torah. One of the mitzvahs in the Torah is to sanctify God's name. You've heard of this mitzvah, to sanctify God's name. Okay. Um, there's many ways to do this mitzvah. What is the ideal performance of this mitzvah? I don't know how to do this mitzvah in its ideal form. Give
3: up your life.
0: That's right. You give up your life. Oh um, really? Yes. That is the ideal performance of the mitzvah. So the way this works in an ideal manner, preferably publicly, is somebody, let's use a classic example. Let's say you're in medieval Europe, and um, the local non-Jews tell you that you have to convert to Christianity or they'll kill you. And you're in public, and there's a bunch of Jews around. And you say, kill me. And then they kill you. And then you did the mitzvah. Yeah, pretty intense, right? Now, if we move from the like actual physical like being killed, think about psychologically, what is what is the mindset that mitzvah is trying to um, bring out in a person? Is it you have it's like multiple choice? You have option A or option B. Option A is it is better to be a martyr and go to heaven and be a sinner and live on earth or life denying the truth of God is not worth living yeah. the latter right? the idea is that denying the truth of God is not, of that life is not worth living therefore I'm not even really sacrificing anything words, I'm not sacrificing something for something better like everyone here likes money Sometimes, especially when you have enough of it.
1: Right.
0: Now, if you have to give up some of your money in order to have something else worthwhile, most of us are so willing to do that. Right? While we buy things, we invest, we you know, we give up the opportunity to make money so we can have relationships with other people, right? So as much as we like money, there are things that are more important, right? Yeah. So a person can say, you know, life in this world is not as important as life in the world to come. So I'm willing to forego life in this world if I'm going to get the world to come, especially if there's the world to come. If you're a martyr, it's like, you the holiest places, it's all one thing. But what the mitzvah is really about is life. a life in, of denying God is not a life worth living. So it's like if I ask you, would you rather have money or spend the rest of the day in a locked in a porta potty? Which one would you prefer? You can have money. You can be locked in the porta potty. Ever been in the porta potty? Yeah,
2: I got locked in one. and never
0: went in one again. Okay, you. there you go. Okay. okay, so, so is that what like, you are you giving up the porta potty for the money?
1: No. No,
0: because no. no. it's like not like there's nothing. There's nothing. That's not something that is even appealing. The the mitzvah of sanctifying God's name. On the psychological level, done properly, is the person has this realization: a life of denying God is just a life of being locked in a porta potty, and that's just in and of itself unappealing. So I'm not really sacrificing anything. I'm not giving anything up. Like it's one pleasant thing versus one unpleasant thing. I was going to pick the pleasant thing. The unpleasant thing is unpleasant. A life a life devoid of God um, is just not worth living. Now, based on that, what kinds of mitzvahs should you have to give up your life for? What to give up your life? The
2: three, uh, adultery, uh, murder, or... Idolatry. Um, Idolatry.
0: Why? If I said life devoid of God isn't worth living, that's really the idea behind the mitzvah. So, so then you should have to give your life for all the mitzvahs.
3: Because in those you're
1: denying
0: Hashem. And when you violate Shabbos, you're not denying Hashem. So it's a
1: it's not
0: the ah. Right. So this is very important. Really, in principle, you should have to give your life for all mitzvahs, conceptually, because any time you don't do a mitzvah you're supposed to do, you're really denying God. God has this funny thing where He wants us to live with Him in the world, and therefore He sets certain rules. When should you give up your life, and when should you um, plug your nose and wait to get unlocked from the porta potty? So, for instance, if someone says violate Shabbos, right? As a Jew who really is in touch with what he's a Jew, what should my psychological state be, ideally? No way. I mean, I, yeah, like a life without, well, a life with, with denying God through desecrating Shabbos just isn't a life worth living. I'm not interested in that. that that's worse than being locked in a porta potty. But then God says, I, I know it's really painful. I know you really don't want it, but just bear with me because mm. afterwards there'll be more Shabbos and be, so. Hold your nose. That and, also you know, save your life. Now, <laughs> now one second the specific details of when you do that and when you don't are for a halacha class. Is this a halacha class? No. This is a? Fasi. So we're talking about the concept, not the specific laws. So if you want to know when do you actually have to give up your life and when you do not actually have to give up your life, speak to your halachic authority. Hopefully it's not a practical question.
1: <laughs>
0: but the idea is when it comes to our relationship with God, the value system in Judaism is set up that Life with God is worth living, and life without God isn't worth living. And then God adds some rules and regulations on how to actually implement that. He doesn't want us giving up our lives at all times for all things because, you know, there's the possibility of going back to life with God afterwards. So what that means, and this is a challenge that we're going to talk about today, if my notion of God is not that important and that significant and that pertinent that God is what makes life living, worth living and that without God, life is just an unbearable hellscape, well then, my notion of God is wrong. wrong. In other words, the, one of the ways you can do to evaluate the truth of something is say, well, what are its consequences supposed to be? For instance, um, how do you know if you are studying Torah properly? Let's to use this as an example. What are, what are some of the consequences about Torah study? If a person studies Torah, what's supposed to happen to them? you
2: you're closer to Hashem, maybe?
0: You feel closer to Hashem? You're knowledge? You feel
2: happier? Oh,
0: uh, you feel. Uh, not necessarily. You're
2: you're not confused. Mania. You're able to.
0: Well, that's if you learn anything, you're confused. <laughs> you feel less arrogant. Well, so what happens if you learn Torah and you feel more arrogant? Because now you know stuff that other people don't know.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Then, no, you're, you might be learning Torah but you're not learning Torah correctly something went wrong because one, the, one of the outcomes of proper Torah study is it brings a person to humility Okay. another outcome of proper Torah study is it brings a person to be more observant so if you learn Torah and you become less particular about doing mitzvahs or just not more particular about doing mitzvahs that means that you're doing something wrong this the Torah study and it's always good when you're engaging anything to know what, what are what are the outcomes that this is supposed to produce so I can test to see whether I'm doing it properly or improperly? Um, if you get a medication, right? The medication is supposed to do something for you, right? So let's give you, a, I'll give you an example. So there's certain medications which are supposed to um, lower your cholesterol. Have you heard this before? People think, okay, and why, why would you want lower cholesterol?
1: Attacks? Attacks. Right,
0: so really, and this is important The medication is not for lower cholesterol No one cares about their cholesterol The medication is so that you shouldn't have a heart attack right? So what happens if the medication lowers the cholesterol But one of the side effects is that it increases the rate of heart attacks mm-hmm.
1: so if
0: Right, in fact One of the cholesterol medications apparently does that
1: mm-hmm.
0: They recently discovered like, Two or three years ago That while it It, it, it has one effect to reduce cholesterol And then it has some other effect on the body that actually makes the risk for heart attacks go up And they don't, it's not actually worth it so it's more like, what is this supposed to achieve? And I can say, is this actually effective or not? So if a sense of God is supposed to bring a Jew to, to the realization that, as far as I'm concerned, a life without God is not worth living, well, then I can check and say, is my notion of God that I personally have for myself, does that lead to that conclusion personally for me? Or is like God a nice thing? and. Great, enhances my life. But a life without God is not the end of the world. It's not a stinking porta potty. It's you know, it's like you know, a regular, just normal bathroom. Okay, go in, go out, useful. And this becomes the real difficulty because what we often do is we often substitute our force of will to make ourselves do something rather than change our actual experience of reality. In other words. It's one thing to force yourself to do the mitzvahs, do what God says. In this case, you know, if God forbid the situation arises, be willing to die for God by a force of will. It's an entirely another thing that your sense of God is such that taking God out of your life makes life well not worth living, so that you don't need a force of will. And the big difference is that in a situation where your life is not actually under threat, having that sense of God is still relevant, whereas the will to give up your life it says so. That, you know, as long as your life is not under threat, right, why do you need to do that? So, what we're going to talk about today is who and what is God, such that um, life without God isn't worth living, because it's that sense of God that makes us able to perform the mitzvah of being willing to. Uh, Willing to give up our lives Though it's not really giving up That our lives aren't worth living without God And that actually When you realize that You realize well, If that's what makes life worth living Then everything else then really not such a big deal And so you become a lot more relaxed By the way If you figure out the one thing That makes life worth living Then you're free To not worry about anything else Yeah So it's
2: force of will
0: Versus what Versus what What makes life worth living Which sentence? Who, who, who
3: what and what is God? Who and what is
0: God such that life, is God that, God? that life without God is not worth living? No, the
3: sentence is
1: about of force, force of will, will
0: versus versus it's God that makes life worth living, or in the negative, without God, life isn't worth living. You need you need a will to overcome something, but God is not supposed to, not supposed to, we're supposed to overcome for God. God is supposed to be. Who the one who makes the life worth living without God? Life isn't worth living. So there's no there's no need to overcome things for God. Take God out of the picture. Whatever it is, just becomes irrelevant. Now that's an ideal. I want to be clear: that's an ideal. It's not like everybody's walking around like this. So if you want to ask, like, what does you know Jewish philosophy have to offer? Because really, Jewish philosophy is like a waste of a topic. One thing it has to offer, hopefully, is having a deepening and clarifying sense of who God is that fits in with the rest of Judaism. Who is God such that with God, life is worth living? Without God, life is not worth living. So that the mitzvah to sanctify God's name is not just a uh, a requirement that actually reflects something about our relationship with God and who, we, who He is to us and who we are to Him.
3: Yeah. Are you like Is someone able to give up their life for a superficial understanding of what they think God is? Like, if you can understand, like, God created the world and the world can't exist without, like, Him. And that's, like, my super, like, and that's just, like, my broad understanding of Him. Like, do you need to actually go in depth in order to do that? Or is it just that strengthens it and makes it so much...
0: So, here's the thing. Here's the thing. People can give up their life for anything. The thing is they're really not about giving up your life. Because you can give up your life um, based on uh, a miscalculation, basically. You get really excited about something and discount how dangerous it is and then go do it and then die, right? <laughs> right? Or you get so excited about something, you don't realize how important something else is to you and you end up making a bad decision, right? The world is not lacking in people who have made dumb decisions uh, that resulted in their literal deaths that had, you know, they thought about it a little bit more, they maybe wouldn't have made those decisions, right? What this mitzvah really is about is that, no, even if I were to really reflect on it, even if I were to really be honest with myself, like really life is not worth living without God. There's nothing redeeming about my existence absent God. And so it really makes a difference there what your notion of God is. Because the truth is that most of our the notion, most of our, our notion of God that we have consciously doesn't really justify that. I'll give you an example. I like my kids. I have six of them, they're wonderful. I like my wife, she's wonderful. I like reading books, not as good. Kids and wife are better, but books are really good too. Now, would you think that it's true that in my actual lived experience day to day, that my sense is the only thing worthwhile about my kids and my wife and books is God. If you took God out of them and left everything else the same, then then it would be utterly worthless. Do you think that's how I live my life? No. And therefore, let's say it came as a choice between my sense of God and my sense of books, or even worse, sense of my wife or my children, I would probably feel some conflict, right? That inner conflict is in the sense that, no, like, these things matter, kind of independently. They have value. They're good, independent of God and this is the problem is that our notion of god as much as we try and link god into god creates everything in lives and blah 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 all that stuff that we say our notion of god our notion of the rest of life are still two different things yeah
2: but without god they wouldn't be
0: them. let's start with let's start with that
2: because like if you can either choose god or them and you choose them and then God
0: leaves, you don't have them either. That's true. That's true. But that let me let me put this in in, in the dynamic with people uh, so I can explain to the difference. Let's say let's say you're let's say something is really important to you. Um I don't know. Let's say getting your steady paycheck is important to you. Okay. You don't have the ability to just will a steady paycheck into existence maybe you do but for the purpose of the analogy you don't you need an employer right so now the employer comes to you and says look i'm really the most important thing to you because without me no steady paycheck you know what we call that that's that's power games that's manipulating someone. so it's, I, in other words i have something that you want you can't get it without me and i'm using that to make you subservient to me, right? By the way, that's how employment works. <laughs>
1: um,
0: right. Why if there's no government regulation, it looks like Manchester in the 1800s. And so, if, you, if that's the notion of God, then, then what it basically becomes is like, I like my family, God is like, and God is the price I have to pay for my family. Because without my God, I won't have my family. Right. And then that means, that means that if I could, I can't, but if I could, I would keep my family and get rid of God. And that doesn't mean God is what makes life worth living. That means that God has all the power and I'm vulnerable and now he can use that to make me do stuff. That might make you very you know, um, particular about keeping mitzvahs, but that doesn't get you to the point that life without God isn't worth living. That gets you to the point that <laughs> you have to put up with God because you have no alternative. And that's actually the... Antithesis of a good relationship with God, the same way it's like the yeah. antithesis of the relationship with a person.
1: Um,
2: yeah. Um. There are many people who don't put it up with God and say like, don't even acknowledge him. Like. Yeah. So. And they still have families. I. I
0: just. Yeah.
2: So. Like. loan. No, what I'm saying is like, you're not going to not have something. Like, God's going to exist no matter what, whether that thing is there or
0: not. So, this gets us down a slightly negative um, direction, but we'll go there a little bit. One of the things that God tells us is that um, the more you pay attention to God, the more God will pay attention to you. Which means... If you're just blindly ignorant of God because you grew up in a secular society, so then God's like, you know, what are you supposed to do? They don't know. But then you've got somebody who does know about God and chooses to turn their back on God. Um, and the Torah is quite clear that God does not like that. And God, um, there's a concept called reward and punishment, and then that comes into play, which means that you can never really look at how God relates to someone else and use that as the model of what's going to happen to you, because you don't know what's going on in that person's inner life. So that person is just, you know, ignorant of God for whatever reasons. So then God is going to relate to them differently than you, who are making conscious choice. And there are consequences of that. And it's true that, you know, Chabad does not like emphasizing the whole reward and punishment thing, because it adds an element of like, control. It's not. It doesn't build a healthy relationship. It's still true. There's still consequences. And if that becomes the whole dynamic, you're focused on. So then you're like, I put up with God, and like once I know about God, it's kind of like you know, know, ignorance is bliss. But now that I know, I have to like take God seriously, because otherwise, not is an act of rebellion. But that doesn't get me to the point that God would make life worth living. Without God, life is just you know, miserable.
1: You
0: know, that's just not that 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 doesn't lead to that. So I need a different notion of God than the one that I depend on for all the stuff that I like. If God is it, it, because then God is God is, you know, this kind of controlling force that I have to deal with, like, you know, your boss or the you electric company.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Alright. So what what or who is God such that God makes life worth living? So there's Two stages to this. There's more, but we're gonna go, we're gonna start with two stages. Okay. The first stage is to realize um, that everything is God. The second stage is to realize that God is everything. Can you ask someone to ask me an intelligent question? <laughs> Based on what I said. I mean, you can ask intelligent questions that don't relate to what I just said. But. So what's the
3: distinct difference between the
0: two? That's right. What is the difference in saying everything is God and then saying God is everything? And one, and they, They're distinct because i made them two and i even made them stages. One comes before the other. Okay. Now. You
2: cannot understand God. So basically you So, everything is God. Right. So, the only thing you can relate to is to everything.
0: God right. You don't really right. Okay, And then the other one would be. And
2: after the next stage is so that
1: with all your
2: understanding, you, you, you can see everything differently through God.
0: Very good. Perfect. Ooh. Okay. There's obviously depth to it, but that's the basic thing. The first thing is I use everything to come to know God. Notice, I don't know God. The first thing is like I don't actually know God. I and God have no direct interaction. I interact with everything else. Everything means, you know, everything. And then through everything I come to know God. Once I know God, then what do I do? I go back and realize that that changes my perspective on everything. So I'm going to give you an example. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You have two things childhood, teenagers, and adulthood. That's how many things? Three
1: mm-hmm.
0: Why did I say two? You never actually
1: became an adult.
0: No, that's not why.
3: What did I never actually become an adult. <laughs> that, I said there are two
0: things childhood, teenagehood, and adulthood. Teenage is, teenage is not a real thing.
3: Um,
0: teenage being a teenager is not a real thing. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Why,
3: so why does adult, every what? single adult blame
0: anything you do stupidly? on your teen. You're a child. I think in the 20s. Explain. So there what happens t- like this? <laughs> you're, you're a child. You're a child. And part of and part of being a child is that you go through the stage of being a child, and being a child helps you eventually become an adult. Right, that's true, like you can't become an adult unless you go through your childhood, right? Now, there's a, there's a tiny problem, which is that in order to transition from childhood to adulthood, you have to kind of let go of your childhood, but you haven't fully developed your adulthood yet, and so then you're in this quasi-disaster like, zone where you're not really anything. Okay, you're not really, right, that's a teenager. Now, so when you're going through it in that order, childhood to adulthood, and you have to pass through the teenage years, how's that experience? <laughs>
1: yeah. That's like wonderful being a, a teenager. That not what? That not that bad. What?
2: Okay, so here's the thing. I love how the question that brings <laughs> <Okay>. up so much. It depends <laughs> who you are.
3: Right,
0: it's an intermarried thing But the way you experience The way you experience being a teenager as you go through it now, has anyone ever talked to a grandparent about being a teenager and growing up? You
1: have a different perspective on it?
0: Yeah, because they're adults By the way, at some point you become an adult It might take you to being 70 Not <laughs> hey, just because you hit 40, you're an adult yet but like there's childhood, which is where you start, and adulthood is hopefully where you end, and the transitioning is teenager. Teenager to year is getting longer, by the way. Apparently, like, people stay teenagers until like 35 oh, now or something. <laughs> now. But anyway, the point is, the reason I bring this analogy is the experience of going through in one direction from childhood to adulthood through the teenage years, which is the transition, is entirely different than once you're an adult and you reflect back on that experience, right? That.
3: You're Right.
0: The reception of the perception of being a teenager as you go from childhood to adulthood is very different than your perception of being a teenager as you go from adulthood looking back on childhood. The same thing, but because your perspective is now reversed, the way you experience it is entirely different. By the way, that's not just your own. You know, people who are adults. By the way, this is a good measure, at least in my book for adult. Um. How. Disconcerting do you find it when you see a teenager? What's disconcerting? Like you see teenagers, I'm they're not, not that they're not children, but they're not fully adults.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And your sense, yeah, well, they'll grow up country, it's okay. Or is your sense like, oh no, like what's gonna become of them? They're like Ooh. they're a mess. <laughs> they're people there are people that look at teenagers, they look at people afraid going there and they're afraid of them. Yeah. Do you know why they're afraid of them? Because they're, they're still teenagers. They're
1: still
0: teenagers. <laughs> right. <laughs> but what happens if you finally made it to adulthood? Afraid
1: of afraid oh my God, I'm they'll come here too. Actually you're actually like afraid of them because they remind
0: you of your own things that you have still unresolved. And but what if you've actually finally so, made it to adulthood? Years.
3: Yeah,
0: I'm sitting.
3: I can't then you're like, oh honey,
1: I'll
0: figure it out. That's right. Yeah. right. So it's like it's okay. It's an interesting adventure. a exactly. whole teenage thing. It could be one of three things.
1: It means one of three four. things.
0: Either you're still a child, so you never no. count your teenage
3: years.
1: The
0: uh-huh. says the age doesn't go based on the passport.
3: Age is a number. <laughs>
0: number. N- n- yeah. Number two, it could be that you've made it to adulthood relatively quickly, so you reflect back on the teenage years and you don't like see it as a big deal at all. Or three, the analogy only applies to the vast majority of people, like most analogies, but they're always exceptions, and you're the exception. But either way, that's the analogy. You can pick whichever explanation you make. Wait, but are you, you supposed to,
3: if you're still in the teenage years at the time, are you supposed to find them difficult? i mean supposed
0: to. <laughs> like, it's
3: it like, like, I will
0: make you. Yes, it is
1: difficult. Energy. It
0: is difficult. By the way, there are other things that are the same right. thing as teenagers. Like, it, 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 there's all sorts of things where where your whole identity as a person shifts. So, being newly married has the same issue. Um, becoming a new parent has the same issue. Transition. Right. There's things that are that you're not the old thing and you're not yet the new thing and as you're going through that, there's a lot of instability that creates angst and tension and blah blah blah. <laughs> And yet, if you make it all the way to the other side, your reflection back on it is that it wasn't as disaster. It wasn't the same disaster necessarily that you think of you going through it. There's a lot of growth, and that actually gives you confidence in other people going through the same thing. So, and this is true about all sorts of things. That this very same thing, when you experience it from one perspective, it's one thing, and you experience it from another perspective, it's entirely different. And what can become a source of agitation can become source of calming and comfort, depending on which perspective. So getting back to this. If you are using everything to come to know God, then you have a very different sense of everything and a very different sense of God. But once you have a sense of God, if you use your sense of God to then reframe your sense of everything else, then your sense of everything changes, and by that, also your sense of God changes.
3: we mm. said that word? <laughs> if you
0: use your if you use your knowledge of everything else to get to know God then your knowledge of God is based on the context of everything else but then if you flip that around and once you know God you use that to reevaluate everything else then your sense of everything is now different and then what happens now is that your sense of God is going to be different cuz now the basis for your old sense of God is gone, so now there has to be a new sense of God in its place.
2: It's analogous to the child. Right.
0: Teenager. So the same thing is you go from, if you go through your, the experience of being a teenager or any other transition period in life, if you go through it forwards in time, you experience it one way, as you go through it backwards in time, reflecting on it, you experience it entirely so different. Yeah. If you go, if you are coming to know God from the world, from your existence, from the things that you know, then the world and God mean one thing to you. Once you've discovered a sense of God and then try and flip that around, it's an entirely different experience.
2: Then it will just like keep repeating itself.
0: Yes, it does. And as it keeps repeating itself, it's like a thread, And it goes tighter and tighter to the point that you and God become so intertwined that you become inseparable to the point that life without God isn't life.
2: Why
0: would it be tighter and tighter and not bigger and bigger like more? I'm using the example of tighter because it becomes more integrated. Okay. More inseparable. But you're right, it's bigger in the sense it encompasses more. Okay. Yeah. And what that means is so that as that process, and you're right, it's a cycle. As that builds on itself, God... It becomes more and more the only thing that your life really is. But your sense of God is changing. And this is the problem. If I say life without God isn't worth living, most people would disagree with me. I would disagree with me because most of our sense of God is a entity being that is distinct from other things in life. And working through this process of using things to discover God and then using God, our, our awareness of God, to, re, to change how we experience those things and then repeat over and over again, means that we end up with a totally different sense of life and a totally different sense of God, one that actually converges and is one. And when you have that, as, as the Rebbe told someone once when they came to 770 and asked, the Rebbe, the Rebbe asked them why they came, they said to find God and the Rebbe to of your heart to so there's find more of that in there than out here. Mm-hmm. You get to realize that God is actually in, in, uh, an integral part of your being and not you know, something you discuss on the outside. But that's a process. It is not something that you just decide one day and then poof, it happens. Yes? Um, Just like to clarify that this
3: is a very important premise, you're using everything to come to know God, and then now that you know God, you see everything differently.
0: You then use your knowledge of God to go back and re-examine everything else. The same way you you can go back and look at your struggles as a teenager. From the perspective of being an adult okay. And you see them differently But you have to actually be an adult for that to work yeah. You have to have actually yeah. discovered God And then go back and say Oh, it turns out the things that I thought I knew about life Aren't really what I thought they were Since there's a constant revising Of both our reality and God Using one to re- to change our, our understanding of the other so they eventually converge Yes.
2: Is there an ultimate sense of God? And who? everybody <coughs> is there like different. Okay, there are two steps here, but different steps you, know, like you understand more and more and more God, and everybody is following that that, that <coughs> chain of of understanding. And there is an ultimate sense of God, or everybody has really different sense of God.
0: Well, since God is one, there's one ultimate sense of God. Okay. Um. And since God is one, to have that ultimate sense of God, everyone has to have that ultimate sense of God. So one of the things that happens, one of the changes that takes place, by the way, in this, you can use this kind of as to figure out how long, how far along you are in your um, you journey, Okay, which is like this, yeah? If I feel like, if I feel like I can know God in a very deep way, a very real way, and that is not negatively affected by your lack of awareness of God, In other words, that my relationship with God can somehow grow independently of your relationship with God being stagnant. If I feel that way about another person, well, then that means that I have a lot of work to do on this relationship. Because since God is ultimately one, and everything is God and God is everything, then your closeness to God and my closeness to God end up becoming part of the same thing. (laughs) So... And, and you can see this is that this actually is true like for instance there are people that if they're distant from God it really bothers you and you feel like it's a hole in your relationship with God and then there are people like you know objectively that they don't feel close to God and it's like okay that's, a, that's not my attention and Why so is that a because since God is one it's not like there's a different God for different people and so if everything is God and God is everything right Because so that means you and God are united God and that person are united. That means you and that person are united. So their dysfunction with God is part of your dysfunction with God. And if you don't feel that, that means you're not really so connected to them.
2: Oh, so you're saying to
3: feel it is a sign that you're to to be like disturbed by someone right. else's lack is a sign that you are connected. Right. I thought you were saying the other way around. No. I was
0: confused. So that's like a measure. Right. So you can take someone like the Rebbe, who's like loses sleep over the fact that somebody in New Zealand doesn't have a mikvah and it really bothers him. Okay, that's more connected. Like the fact that like my my neighbor like you know might not have you know enough food and enough money to buy chicken for Shabbos that doesn't bother me. Well, that shows that like, I've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. And so it's as that sense of God really, really grows. There was a famous chassid who was in the middle of uh, his prayers and in a section discussing the unity of God, and um, he got up in the middle of his prayers and went over to the cobbler. Do you know what cobbler is? Shoes. Yeah. Shoes. Mm-hmm. People make them fix shoes. Do they have mm-hmm. them? Still the US yeah, okay.
1: okay. It's <laughs> also a dessert. It's, I don't even
3: know what that is. No, so, so the, he goes over
0: to the cobbler in the middle of his prayers, and, he, and drags the cobbler over to the to the, to the to the shul, and he's wearing his tops and not the cobbler, but the closet, and he points at somebody's feet. There's a yeshiva student there who had big holes in his shoes. And he starts pointing. And then the cobbler the understands that he wants him to hire him to fix this this shoes. The does money, and so afterwards somebody came up to him I don't know if it was the cobbler. Someone council to the and says, like, it's very nice that you want to help the buffer but like, why do you have to do it right in the middle of like reflecting on the unity of God? And so the Chassid said very simply, if I don't feel the coldness in his toes, then what kind of unity of God is there? It's one God for everybody. And so this idea of really working through the different things in our lives to get a, a notion of a clearer notion of God and then using that to reexamine back and saying well maybe the way I experience things in my life isn't so accurate and then repeat and repeat until God becomes more central and I become more unified with others around me as that sense of God really grows and that's something that a person feels not just believes and not just can explain and not give a class about then the idea that yeah, life without God isn't worth living, it's not like a, it's not like a lofty thing, it's, it's it's obvious. But when God is relegated to an abstraction, the basis for why you do a mitzvah and nothing more, um, you know, I think I would rather take my life in kids and books, and even if God has to go sit in the corner. Yeah?
3: When you say, like, life without God, are you saying, like, life without acknowledging God, or, like, a life in which God just pees out, like,
0: so, it it means anything that that could mean. So, and, and th- th- let me let me put it like this: different people are capable of experiencing life on different levels. Okay. So, the most basic level of experiencing life is that um, something is real enough that it's a factor in your decision making. Like, that's the most basic level. Like, if something is not real enough to you that you take into consideration when making decisions about what to do, then you just, that's not part of your life. You don't really relate to it at all. Okay? Despite what you might profess. But there's deeper things. For instance, um, you might, you know, you might, for instance, you might take something into consideration, like you make sure to pay your taxes because you don't want to, the IRS to get you or whatever, but that, but but then that's it. Like then you want them out of your life. You're oh, no you've oh, no oh. space for them. Like in any place deeper, you're not emotionally <laughs> invested. There's layers and layers of how people experience life, and everybody's different. Whatever ways you experience life is God occupying that. And as you discover that that God is occupying that, then taking God out of that would make that empty and meaningless. So. For some people, it's just merely acknowledging God. For some people, it's having a deep emotional bond with God. For some people, it's stuff that goes even far beyond that. But that depends on the character of the person. Yes.
3: On the topic of someone else's relationship with God affecting ours, what is our responsibility?
0: Everything up to and excluding their free will. Okay. Which is an easy idea to understand, yeah. and it's hard to implement. But that's basically it. Yes?
3: Um, So I know you said this isn't about halakha, but practically in terms of the philosophy of it all, like, if I am aware, because I'm studying in a Yeshiva setting, and I'm aware of many halakha that serve the purpose of serving God or um, widening my relationship with God, (laughs) I'm aware of them, but I'm not yet implementing them. And if I'm experiencing some, like, Sense of guilt, or like I think I'm acknowledging that I know that this exists, but I'm also acknowledging that I'm not doing that and therefore actively choosing, I guess, not to do that. Like, in, in terms of this philosophy, where does that kind of Um lie? So, that
0: there's I, some things I can say because they're pretty general and universal, and obviously, there's things that are, that are more individual.
1: Yeah.
0: So, it depends. One major thing is are these things that you or
3: you oh were doing
0: and or an integrated part of your life and then you stop doing? Or are these things that you were never doing to begin with? So the rule is like this. If it's something you're never doing to begin with, then you're undergoing what's called a process of education. Mm -hmm. And education has a few characteristics, which is, A, it's slow. Mm -hmm. No one becomes educated in anything instantaneously. You cannot instantaneously gain a new skill inside or craft. Number two, education, by definition, requires you to stumble and make mistakes. Because the Talmud says that the Torah only lasts for someone who stumbles. So that means if you're, if this is a new thing, then it becomes, OK, well, maybe this is the kind of time and space you need in order to learn and grow and develop. Maybe not, but that becomes an individual question. If it's something that a person had really integrated in their life, and then they cast off in some kind of act of rebellion, then truth might be required, true right. is like a more, like, Realizing like I have to like completely change my ways because I I, I know at my heart of hearts that I'm rejecting something deep in myself but that's a different. It's um, faster. It's faster, but the rule is you can't do tshuva on things that you never heard You can't do tshuva about what you never knew. So by tshuva,
2: it's not like it's not because many people they were never religious and they said so not, oh, they not They say,
0: but it's not it's not it's not really true. It's really if I could change them, I'd say that they're they're they're. they're Getting a late education. Like, think about it. Like, I have kids, right? I have six kids. And, like, do I say, like, okay, now you're Jewish, you have to do all this stuff. Or even when they hit bar mitzvah and bas mitzvah, which they're technically obligated, right? But, okay, like, well, what if they're not capable? or What if they don't know? You still have to work with that, right? Okay. So, what does it matter, like, if you start getting your education at two or at 20 or, you know, 80? It doesn't, like, education is a process that it takes its time. There's no way around that.
3: And is it valid to, like, explore the things around? not doing it to see how they impact. Or is it better to just, like, go... That becomes very individual. I don't concerns. want to
1: ask yeah. no hard
0: answer. Okay. Okay. okay, so but what I, what I do want to get is to how do you get to know God from the stuff, right? Because I just said that like, you book everything around you and you get to know God, as if that's like an easy thing to do. Okay,
1: <laughs>
0: so one of the things is that we as human beings believe lies about ourselves. Hmm. Um, some lies, we know our lies and we choose to believe them anyway. Some lies, we don't even realize that they're lies. One of the lies that we believe about ourselves is that the best way for us to learn things is with our minds. Do that. Well, then you're good you're the, then you're the exception. But most people, seem to, think what? most people seem to think most people seem to think the best way to learn something is through their mind. Um,
3: How do you experience math?
0: What?
3: How do you experience like math?
0: How do you experience or, math?
3: Like if you're saying
0: yeah, experience it. Oh, so actually let's use math as the example, right? So this is how your first math class went. See if you remember this. Your teacher said, okay. There are these things called ratios. Okay. Um each half of a ratio we call a number. Okay, so there is a like a half, right? So one half of the ratio is the there is half is the one to two ratio, so there's this thing called a one to two. We can discuss the defined relationships between these ratios. So for instance, if you have two ones, that means you have two. Right, that's how your math class went?
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. I think your math class went something like the teacher held up two objects and Apples. Yeah. how many apples do we have, class? And someone said, five! Let's count them. One, two,
1: right?
0: In fact, you didn't learn numbers at all for many years. You learned to count. Counting refers to objects. Numbers are these abstractions or half of ratios you can take. Like, you know, when do they actually start teaching math as an abstraction? Like, really? Later, graceful. Well,
1: later, calculus.
0: Nope. Even in the calculus, they don't three. really know. It depends how you're taught. Either in geometry if you're taught advanced geometry or analysis. Most math ways actually taught, they're still grounding it at least. So- implicitly in things. Wait,
3: that's all that analysis is. What? It's grounding it's numbers in concrete things.
0: No, now it's grounding numbers in concepts. Oh, What? Are you saying? It's trying to detach. You're saying that the only
1: way okay. from this. Okay.
0: Right, like. D- define the real numbers without having to make reference to things. Like that. Actually, we, we really are everything. If you take anything else, if you take moral concepts, anything you have, emotions. First, we encounter at least a rough version of it in our actual physical lives. Then we kind of abstract a model from it. And then we kind of reflect on and examine and maybe a couple of things which may be true or may be false. But the first thing is actually, actually, is the actual encountering the thing in a physical lived way. The thing is that most of the, for most of the stuff you did, you finished by the time you were in second grade, and you don't realize that that was there.
2: But I would think like geometry if anything, is something you experience more than algebra.
0: It depends how you're taught geometry. And all of that. Yeah. There's
2: different ways of teaching. Let's geometry. do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, what about like? When you're like in a yeshiva and you're learning like the Holocaust of Shabbos and like kosher and like I I agree like I don't think I think the best way to learn is when you actually have a kitchen and you have to figure it out but so if that's so why are yeshiva like why is it the model that way where we sit for hours and learn something on a piece of paper and in a book?
0: Because that's a step two or three if that system is set up properly. First, when do you start learning Shabbos? Like, in the ideal Jewish education, when do you start learning the laws of Shabbos? At what age? When
2: you no, no, I'm the, What? No. When you start learning is when you start... You start
0: learning from the moment you're born, because you have parents, and they keep Shabbos. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a huge... A I will be honest with you, it is that. a huge problem. If you want to learn Hilcha Shabbos properly, what I recommend you do, find a camp family that you know actually knows the laws of Shabbos, and hang out in their house on Shabbos. That is, yeah, yeah. You, that, that, that then you add books, and you have some sense of what the books are referring to. Oh, you realize that they made a mistake. But if you're just working from books, you, you don't, yeah, fair. You
1: know,
0: there's a whole, any, anything where we don't learn from abstractions, we can take the things our, that we've experienced in life, use our mind to refine them. Which means, going back to the thing, if you're going to know God from the things, right, you know, everything is God, everything is a way to get to know God, if you're going to do that, you can't have a class explaining to you how everything is God. First, you have to go interact in the world and live your life in such a way that in your interactions of the world, you encounter God, and then you can use your mind to refine that and reflect upon it. So
3: this, you're giving this class based on the fact that you assume we all have some kind of
0: sense of God already? No, actually, I'm giving this class to tell you that you should go get a sense of God. Until then, Jewish philosophy is pointless. Are you saying
1: of education was doing the I don't. It
0: depends on the individual, what they were doing. I don't know. I mean, different people's education experiences were different.
3: Like, most practically, a lot of the things that you know, you first learn, like, within the context of what they're in, less so, like, here's a book, now learn it. You can't, you can't process that information, you don't have a basis.
1: Yeah. i I'm gonna well, give you, you a experience. simple You're not
3: I mean, stories, stories, you know.
0: right? No, okay, so 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 let me let me explain something to you. Yeah? There's different ways of experiencing things, okay? There's different ways of experiencing things. In general, people experience things either firsthand or secondhand. First hand is obviously yourself are 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 either doing the thing or you see someone else doing the thing, whatever the thing is, right? But there is a secondhand. The secondhand way is called a story. So actually, this is one of the problems with people that have their education late. One of the most important classes that there is in the standard Torah model of education is a class that ends sometime between kindergarten and second grade, depending on the school, which is called Parsha class. Do you know what Parsha class is? Yeah, I don't think they have Parsha classes.
3: It's As a teacher As your teacher
0: terms. acts out the story of the weekly Parsha. That's oh, it.
1: Oh, wow. That's right. it. That's and, and, and so, and, but so, and, and so the kid, like,
0: like, Avram is a person who did this, and like... like it's tangible. And, right. Then you move to reading Chumash. And you might not even be consciously aware that that's in your mind, but that makes a huge difference. it to things. Right. And there, there was, I was once reading an article of someone who was, uh, was at a, at a firm house on Shabbos, and they were having they were, they were, they, one of the things they write is that they were having this discussion about these people, Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov, and the whole discussion. This person thought that they were talking about relatives <laughs> until at a certain point she realized that they were talking about the weekly parasha. But they were talking about them like real people who like did this and had that motivation, like like in real life. Now, so sometimes, sometimes you can you can encounter things secondhand through stories. That's actually one of the reasons why the Chumash spends so much time on stories. Right? One of the problems with we learn Chumash is that we spend a lot of time analyzing the text, which is fine. I don't know if Analyzing the text is great. But what about the story? Like, one thing I highly recommend everybody do, I recommend this. This is the best Chumash for this. This edition of the Chumash. Okay? Uh, the reason why I think this is the best is because it makes it easier to follow the story but you can take any Chumash you want in English translation start at Berations, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and read it to the end don't analyze it just read it it's a story and you will notice things that change everything because it is an actual story what happens when you learn and analyze you get and that's true so finding God either in the stories the stories in the Chumash, the stories that people say or their our own actual observance of Torah mitzvahs. That's really step one. Then all the philosophizing comes second. Because you can't take somebody who's never had either even a secondhand experience of something and then explain what it is. And then they'll, they'll be very good at repeating the terms and drawing diagrams, maybe even passing a test. But it doesn't change how they experience life. It's right a just
1: yes, it
3: it a that's fine. Story. That's fine. Where is that just more
0: like that's the whole
2: thing? You do whatever
0: you want, but but just learn read the, story, read the story. Read the story, that's my point.
2: But the midrasha sometimes is that it adds the stories and like where does it come from? And you think it has that the Harshim
0: playing yeah. play
2: yeah. in the text story. It's complicated when I I mean
0: that Chumash also does. The story. That Chumash gives you the story as Rashim understands so a lot of times, if you read the Chumash without that, a lot of times it's hard to follow the story because sometimes it contradicts, and sometimes it jumps around time-wise because so you don't realize that like, now you're 20 years earlier, 20 years later, and what the Chumash is good about is keeping track of that.
3: Right, also because it's like bolted in not right. to yeah. see it.
0: But even if you don't do that, even, if you, just, even if, you, if you read Hebrew, and you want to read it in Hebrew, it doesn't matter. There's a level of encountering things either through your own practice of Judaism, through other people's practice of Judaism that you were living in and seeing them, or hearing stories, whether it's the stories in the Chumash, the stories of our sages. um, In in the the traditional Hasidic education, when you want to make a Hasid... Songs. Songs and stories come first, studying discourses come later. Why? They're more accessible. Right, because you experience then you can have information about how to reflect and refine those experiences and then change things there's this there's this disconnect that if we're going to sit in the classroom and we're going to explain something somehow that is going to change my experience of life the way the mishnah puts it um the mishnah said the mishnah has a lot of these interesting uh, like little riddles one of them is in ain bina and das, and bina and bina and das which no knowledge. Without knowledge, there's an no understanding. Without understanding, there's no knowledge. Now, the way that's explained in is without any real, that's ex- knowledge you gain of experience. Without any actual experience, you don't understand anything. Without understanding, then you don't really know how to process your own experiences. And it's in that sense of everything is God. So that means you actually have to go and live life in such a way that you're able to have God be an accessible part of life. And that means practically actually our mitzvahs in the right way. And how do you know it's the right way? Because it's giving you, be you a sense of God. And if it's not, then. You're not. That's right. So find out how to do it differently. Yes?
3: So going back to the education piece of it, do you think everything. You learn can learn by experience, or are there some topics you think that you just like can't experience, and that you just have to
0: mm-hmm. learn? You can build on experience. Every topic, you know, has to be grounded in experience. Now, mm-hmm. it can be like a skyscraper, so and you're dealing with the floor 176, and so the fact that it's grounded in experience is not so patently obvious, right? <coughs> um, So you know, you could have like people discussing like um, using the math example, you know, um, they could be they could be dealing with algebraic combinatorics, right? And it's not apparently obvious, like, how that's linked to anything in the real world. But you could go back and see, like, wait a minute. They went to kindergarten, they learned to count. They abstracted from counting. Then this, then this, then this. And that's all rooted in their head. And that's actually the difference to the people that really understand what they're doing. And the people that disconnect is a disconnect, they're good at regurgitating, but they don't get it. Everything we really get is grounded in either the experience we have ourselves, what we see other people doing, or the stories that we hear. And it's finding God in that lived way and that's the actual practical living to our mitzvahs, then you have something to work and see what's fine figure out okay how is everything leading me to God and the problem is when you make it and when you make it a, when you make it in a, a, an idea of God an idea of God does not make life worth living because it's just that it's an idea would be a very compelling idea very inspiring idea now,
3: Are
0: you speaking? Yeah. Yes. Ask. So what are some of the actual given given this idea that all the philosophy is only gonna work if you actually refine your experience of God in the actual real world, what are some practical things you could do rather than just saying go to mitzvahs"? That's a little vague. We don't know who's good.
2: What? Because the question was, who's God?
0: Right. So how do you do, what are some of the practical tips you can do about getting to know God through Torah, to actually doing Torah mitzvahs? And learning. No. It's
3: learning Learning What
0: comes First, second.
3: Doing.
0: Trying to do There's many ways to go about doing it. OK. So number one, why I'm going to give you Why do you care to do it if you? I don't know, that's that's your business. I don't know, why you want to post closer to God? It's your business, I don't know. No. Not meditating. Meditating, okay. is, meditating is building things up in your mind. And you don't have a lot of grounding. No. It does not work. Um, surround yourself you? with people that do mitzvahs. So? Okay. That. So we're going to go through a few things. That we'll start with that. That's a good one. Number one, you have to surround yourself with people that a do mitzvahs and b their doing of mitzvahs actually ha- is accompanied with a sense of God. This cannot be underestimated. So, for instance,
1: okay,
0: if you really want to have a sense of how. What? Okay, when they do mitzvahs and it's accompanied with a sense of God. So, let's use the example of people that keep Shabbos. You go to someone's house and they keep Shabbos. And the atmosphere in the home on Shabbos has nothing. Nothing to do with, with God, nothing to do with, with you know, our souls, nothing to do with what life is really about, nothing to do with the impending the redemption, nothing to do with how, you know, not, it's just, you know, they, they, they do all the stuff and they kiddish, and then they sit and talk around about you know, the politics and about this and about that. That is actually hazardous to your growth. Because you're learning to disassociate the mitzvah from the sense of God it conveys. You actually need the opportunity to find people who observe Shabbos and their observance of Shabbos comes along with and together with the sense of being more aware of God
3: yeah, I, I, yeah. Just, I just find a lot of the time like like there are so many people who like will just like do Shabbat without like I mean who am I to say they don't have like the awareness of what it really is but there's some people who have done it their whole lives or whatever just aren't really like tapping into it and they don't even like they just think of it as just like oh it's like, dinner and other people who like they sit down with the attention of like
0: Understanding what is about. Right. And so if, if you're Not concerned the second with, kind. Right. You need this it, it, you need the second kind. It's extremely important. Now I want to I wanna make that a little bit practical because there's there's a I there's sometimes people try and fake what they don't have. So like I'm sure I've been at Shabbos tables before. Now we're going to speak about Torah because it's a Shabbos table. W- w- what's all the tension? The tension is like, like you're trying to force, like you don't actually have a sense of the Shabbos, you're trying to like artificially force it, right? And then you go to people's houses, and like, the chit chat, there's no one saying it, like you can have a Shabbos say when there's no Tvar mm-hmm. like that's fine. There's no one saying it in but the chit chat, the small talk, all has a different tone and a different feeling, it's coming from a different place. Where, where, you okay? You could take the same thing. You see somebody who says, "You says, you know, they're supposed to say uh, the custom from to say the t- daily tehillah." But there's people who say the daily tehillah, and it's like something got to knock off. And there's people that say the daily tehillah, and there's a little bit of care in it. They're, they're, it it's something that they're, they're present. You need to find, and one of the things is doing doing mitzvahs in such a way that you actually get a sense of God. A lot of those things have to be modeled. It's not like you necessarily know what they're doing, so you can mimic it. But it very just being modeled to you changes. Remember, like as a little kid, your parents and the adults around you didn't teach you how to do things. They just modeled stuff, and your mind picks it up on its own. So, so part of it is finding people who are doing mitzvahs in a way where there is a sense of God, even a subtle sense of God, but a grounded, subtle sense of God in their mitzvahs. Surrounding yourself with those people, exposing yourself to those people, changes implicitly, without you being aware, how you relate to doing mitzvahs, such that you're doing mitzvahs now actually becomes a way of knowing God, rather than a list of things you have to check off in order to do it right.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's very important.
2: Okay.
0: Um, so that's one thing. Yeah. Um, like a lot of
1: people can
3: you connect to God truly without doing it
0: right. The answer is the answer is yes with two conditions. One, the not doing it right has to be done has to be done out of genuine naivety, like you really don't know that you're not doing it right on any level, and with wholehearted sincerity, then yes. So, for instance, the um, but the thing is because it has those conditions, that's never a long-term way of living. You can't. Right. something that something that only works if you're ignorant Right? what happens as soon as you lose the ignorance as soon as you become a little more informed you can't keep doing it so it's possible for instance somebody to like actually be closer to God by driving to Shul on Shabbos than someone who's keeping Shabbos provided the person driving to Shul on Shabbos genuinely really doesn't know that it's forbidden and really is driving to Shul because it's Shul and they want to be in Shul on Shabbos but what happens is they learn a little bit more about Shabbos then. They can't have that again. Yeah. So the, 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 it, 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 as a temporary thing, it's possible. But it's not a, it's not a, like a, it's not a way to live life. I'll give you another, like, an example two people. Can you be cute by scribbling on books?
1: When you're three. When you're three. But once you're not
0: three, you can't be cute doing it anymore. It's not cute. It's not cute. It's not cute. It's on some level, you appreciate you're causing damage, right? Even a three-year-old, a two-year-old, one-year-old, like. This. But once the kid realizes the destructiveness of what they're doing, it can't be cute. It just it loses the cuteness. Okay. Right. So, all right. Yes.
2: I can it by a sense of God. Doesn't mean that you have to understand. Like they have to understand what they are doing, or it can be just simply they're talking or they're just doing what they need to do honestly and they're doing it right with sincerity or they need to, uh, and to talk about Torah and everything or do they really need to understand the sense and
1: reason
0: of each mitzvah? that it is? So it's, it's the first let me explain a sentence, one thing to understand is God is not a list of ideas God is someone right? So have you ever been at a table and people talk if it's a healthy environment everybody's talking with an awareness that there's other people at the table right? Yeah. It's like everyone you ever been at a? Sometimes you go to someone's house. I was I went to someone's house when I was a bachar many years ago, and sometimes you're at a house and you can tell that the husband and wife are not getting along because like each one is acting as if the other one isn't really there, not in like an obvious way, and that's like very uncomfortable for the guests. I never went back to my house again. It's very awkward. Um. So, so. Doing this in the sense of God is that the person says that God is there, God is involved, God is present. That doesn't do it doesn't have to do with the amount of informational right? And so somebody can, for instance, like put a coin in a pushka, and just it's evident on their facial expressions that they have a sense that this is something that's about their relationship with God, that connects God is with them, God is happy. And they're not there's nothing more complicated than that. And there's another person who can give you like sixty-five different explanations you know, from philosophy and Chassidus and Kabbalah about the significance of tzedakah, but like, there's no, there's no sense that there's God along with them and they're doing the mitzvah, and it's the first thing that you need. That's what I'm saying, it doesn't matter about the Dvar Torah per se, how are they talking? What where's, what, where, where's the body language? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, a, it's a different thing, this is, you know, there's a certain kind of inner joy about things, a certain, you know, at peace that you're living the life you're supposed to live, that kind of stuff. That comes out and has sense, even if it's a very ethereal sense of God is with them in their doing of the mitzvahs. And that's, you know, they may not be able to articulate it in these words, but that's how they, that's really what's happening. And so being around people like that changes how we we relate to mitzvahs without even realizing it. Then we can have more of a sense of God. Then the philosophy is something to, you know, maybe work with. But otherwise, it's just a bunch of abstractions. That's one thing we can do. I'm going to give a few other things, but yes? So
3: surrounding ourselves with those people can help you Experience Hashem in a certain way, but is it helping you experience Hashem in a certain way, or helping you just do those things?
0: No, experience Hashem in a certain way. Is it
3: just it, because you see how they experience Hashem that it just will have an impact on you?
0: Yeah, that's that's the nature of the human creature. That's how God does. Then, that's how you. then I mean, you don't I mean, think about it. most of you how you experience life is basically you just model people. Without even realizing that you were doing it. So, like, if you want to live a certain life with a certain kind of awareness, find those people and plop yourself in them. And, and that, that that goes a tremendously. And that's one of you know the reasons why why, why you know, Judaism is is a, is a communal religion and not an individual religion. Okay, so that's one that's one thing that's not just about just dryly doing mitzvahs, but how we go about doing mitzvahs that actually can change and give us that sense of God through our actual life that we can refine and reflect and then building back on uh,
2: Yeah? Um, you were saying that people who live with a sense of God, it ends up like being, there's like a joy about the way they live. Does that mean that people who, when God is present in their life, they, it's like more of like
3: a stress, like, oh, God's here, like, I must say something, like, that's not a true sense of God? That
0: is not a true sense like, of God. Like,
3: it automatically mm-hmm. is going to mm-hmm. be a positive...
0: I will, I will give you both a verse and a story verse says... Oiz, does anyone know the translation word oiz? Strength. strength but there's many words in here for strength. What is words more specifically? You know sometimes you feel like something is impossible? And sometimes you say like, despite the fact that other people think it's impossible, it's actually possible. That's oiz.
1: Mm.
0: Oiz is the strength that, that that gives you the optimism that what previously seemed impossible is possible. Um, that's why the Torah is called oiz. And chedva. What does chedva
1: mean?
0: Joy. joy. There's many words for joy. Specifically, do not it? Sweet joy. What? What? Yeah. It's a it's a joy. It's a joy that that doesn't that that, that that works together with having to deal with problems. Like just because it's difficult, just because it's challenging, doesn't make it not a pleasant and enjoyable experience, right? So what does it say? In the place of God, there's ois, There's the strength of the possible, and there's chedva. There's the joy of dealing with things. So there's a verse. That's that's the verse. There's a verse um, with Elijah, Elijah the prophet, and um, it's a famous verse. There's God is rebuking him, and there's a big um, there's a big noise, and then the verse says that the God is not in the noise. And there's a big storm, and it says God is not in the storm. There's a large fire, and it says that God's not in the fire. And, um, and then it says there's this literally this, this a thin voice, whatever thin voice is. Um, so in Hebrew, it's the Hebrew English. what? English. So the the So the, the Hebrew is So I know I know somebody um, I think he's going to remain nameless um, Who was Shall we say late for his morning prayers Very, very late for his morning prayers Like it was almost Shabbos And he hadn't started his morning prayers um, Now the chakra service is quite long even if you just don't do the words, it does take a little time saying all the words. And so he was in Shul, in the back of the Shul, he had his tallest on his shoulder, his throne over there. It was about a half hour until Shabbos. Oh, How he yeah. got to the situation is immaterial. And um, I was not there. I know who this person was, but a friend of mine was there. He said it was the most amazing sight. So he was going like this with his house. I'll say it when he said in Hebrew, I'll translate. He was like, Leibelach <laughs> Hatz Hashem, Leibelach Hatz Hashem which means God is not found in stress, God is not found in
1: stress.
0: (laughs) Which means I'm not starting to pray until I calm down because it's not prayer. There's no God in that. I'm not getting into the lachic ability of whether you should be praying at that time. I'm not getting into that. But there is a, yeah, God is not found in stress. Precision, okay, that's a different thing. Stress, like, do you wanna, think about this, yeah? Do you want a surgeon who's stressed out? No, do you want, but that precision is one thing, but stress? Tension. These are these are these are these are signs that God, the person doesn't feel God is present with them. Can you
3: just clarify that God is not found in like one cannot find God in a moment of stress. Not that God doesn't exist in a stressful moment. Right, right. I mean a,
0: revel- a way that God is accessible to you in your right. experience. God is accessible. Does
3: right. yeah. this yeah. on the first
1: point first?
0: What? So this is all operating on the first point. Means that you're seeing around people that. There's a doing mitzvahs that have with a sense of God. Okay. I thought that would go faster, but okay. Okay, now we have five minutes left and we we'll go through a few other things, okay? Which are things we can do differently about how we go about doing mitzvahs to cultivate a greater sense of God in the doing of the mitzvah that then serves as the basis, the grounding to really you know, redefine our sense of God. We work on elevate ourselves to blah, blah, blah. Okay, another thing is consistency. The consistency has two halves. Less. In other words, if you're going to try and be consistent, you should do less. Okay. What's the other half of consistency?
3: More.
0: The other half of consistency half. is that it's the other half of consistency is that you don't make it conditional. So I'm give you an example of each thing. I am going to keep Shabbos for the rest of my life. That is not a good way to be consistent. I mean, it's fine for me to go to Shabbos. Let's say I have been keeping Shabbos. That's not a good way to be consistent. Why?
3: Because it's not much
0: Too, much. No. Too much. Now, it's fine if you like try to keep the whole Shabbos. That's fine. But the mindset of working on the consistency element should be consistent. You can do everything you want. Do as much as you want. That's fine. But the, if you're working on doing it more consistently, focus only on a one little thing. It doesn't matter what the little thing is, but a little thing. But then that thing is, that little thing has to become unconditional. Many times when we're trying to work on something, we have like, sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes we're not aware of it, we have all sorts of things. Like, let's use I am not going to, I'm going to use this as the example. Um, I am not going to watch television on Shabbos. Let's say that. Instance, like, like, I'm, to, I'm trying to keep you on but the thing about consistency is like, they're not watching television. Okay. But then the thing is, is that something that I can really be consistent about unconditionally under all circumstances? Because if it's not, then pick something else. Because consistency has this element that it's always present, even when circumstances are different. And so finding areas of mitzvahs, whether it's a negative mitzvah or a positive, doesn't matter, where it's something that's small enough that I can really be consistent about, and it's something that is frankly reasonable enough that even if the circumstances are going to be really different, even if I'm like stuck in the airport, even if like I'm in a bad mood, I can still, even under those conditions, be consistent with it. Finding those elements of my mitzvah observance and highlighting them and focusing on them. Because one of the things that's true about God is that God is permanent. God is consistent. God is absolute. God is unconditional. And finding those elements in my observance of mitzvahs opens a person up to having a sense of God. And that means, being, being honest with yourself, what is small enough that you can commit to and what can you really be comfortable doing even when you're not inspired and even when it's really difficult and even when it's in an unforeseen circumstance. And finding one or two, but usually not more than that, those things in all the stuff you're doing and really putting effort into that changes and cultivates a sense of God in the actual doing of mitzvahs. That's another thing. Okay, Yeah.
2: I know sometimes when you do something, you do that little small thing, but then you see also all the things you're not doing, and it would be like hypocritical in a way, like that hypocritical feeling of like, yeah, I'm doing this and I'm working on that, but then it's maybe time to add all the other stuff, look at all I have
0: left to do. So that's part of the unconditional. Unconditional means I'll do it even if, I, even if my evil creation tells me I'm being a hypocrite, I'll
1: still do it.
0: One of the, see... So when do you add them? That, that's, a, that's a separate question. Okay. But if you're working on consistent, man, there's two different things. There's doing mitzvahs so and like working on the consistency we doing Work on the consistency in mitzvahs means finding one or two small things that you're really going to make an absolute and unconditional. Knowing full well that everything else may or may not, like that's part of the unconditionalness, yeah? That answers my question like, I, 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 I'll tell you one story. I had a teacher who said that. He's speaking to, to, to Yeshiva Bakram. So Yeshiva Bacha have a tendency that they put on school every day, they don't miss filling. Uh, but they do not necessarily pray every day. And I don't want to mean is that although they might read all the words of the Siddur, that doesn't necessarily mean that they actually paid attention to the fact that they mean something and they're talking to God. So he said, right? Simply, he said, Would you skip the day of Philip? All So So then how can you skip a day without even saying half of a verse of prayer? Like, don't say pray the whole thing. Right? somewhere, like there's a whole book. Find like two words, but like you should have this idea. Like like under no conditions I'm going to take off my trunks. At least two words I said and actually tried to mean them. Say, but I'm a hypocrite. That's part of the unconditionalness. Finding little tiny things to be really consistent about, no matter what. Even when you're in a bad mood. Even when you're feeling skeptical. Even when you're having a crisis of faith. Those give you a sense of the absoluteness and the permanence of God in the actual experience that no amount of philosophizing is going to help you with. Okay. One last thing: okay. when one of the ways that we, um, one of the ways that we kill the sense of God in our mitzvahs is we think about how the mitzvahs are changing our status. Okay. Of like the social media of status, okay. So like, there's I'm Shobar Shabbos, or I'm Shomer a or I'm Kosher, or I'm a Hasidisha person, whatever it is, that's those status things. And so then, what ends up happening is the mitzvahs become like the little points and the likes that give us a certain status in our mind. And so like, really, we're playing a status game in our own mind and using the mitzvahs, okay. Now, you're not gonna be able to stop doing that. That's something that God built into us. But what you can do is just find the comical and not take it seriously. In other words, when those voices start coming into your head and saying, ooh, I did this, so therefore I'm a this, or I didn't do that, so therefore I'm a that, and you basically you're taking the mitzvah, which is about being with God and turning it into some sort of a mental status game, you can't silence that voice. It'll come back. But what you can do... Because you can learn to realize that that voice is just, it's just like some random person on the internet that you just ignore. It's not you. It's not anything you have to take seriously. Don't engage it. Because uh, because it would, if you start turning the mitzvahs into the means by which we're playing, a, how much I can impress myself in my own head, or how much I can beat myself up in my own head, and then we are squashing out of the mitzvahs any sense of that there's God with us. And so, even though that voice is something that you didn't, you can't get rid of, you can work on not taking it seriously. You know, just ignoring it, moving on. Like you know, sometimes you like have there's an annoying person, with an like, annoying neighbor. So what's the mature way of doing not an annoying neighbor. I just didn't argue with you. Like what's the point?
2: Are you extra nice?
0: You know, in mm-hmm. real life. So I want to just review, three things, if you really want to find God in everything and then use that sense of God to change everything so that God becomes what makes life worth living, you need to actually get God in experience, not through books, and that's through Torah and mitzvahs. Four things we said, stories, stories, and then in your mitzvahs, not just doing mitzvahs, but being around people who doing mitzvahs come with a sense of God. Working on <laughs> consistency in your <laughs> Consistency in your mitzvahs. Not all your mitzvahs, but one or two little things that you can really make consistent and unconditional. Really unconditional. And not letting your mind turn mitzvahs into some sort of status game in your own head. And if you work on that, the sense of God starts to become more palpable And then all the philosophy and stuff. Actually, something you can, there's there's material to work with, and then you slowly can change your sense of God, your sense of reality, to like converge, and then God really is what makes life worth living. And then, if God forbid, you have to give your life to God, it won't feel like giving anything up. Yes? Um, the last one, mythos,
2: to those of you who are also to comparing your sexualities.
1: Yeah.
2: For sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. At one point you started
1: saying that there are like different levels levels of realizing how important something is to you. there's different ways of relating